This is the Get A Life Podcast, X-Cult Conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I hope everyone had an incredible holiday with whatever you celebrate. Um, We are here with Richard and Carmen today. We have a special guest um, from the UK, Jackie Hart, who's going to dive into um, her own story, but more so into the what went on with the charities commissions in when it was resolved in 2014, I guess it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to pass the mic over to Jackie and let her introduce herself and take us down that rabbit hole. Welcome Jackie. (laughs) Thank you, Cheryl. Hi Richard. Hi Carmen. So as many of you will know, I'm Jackie Hart. Um, I left the PBCC a long time ago in the mid eighties. And I'll give my story very, very briefly. Um, I, I was put in the position where I had to choose between leaving my family and living with a brethren family or staying with my family. And I chose the latter and the rest was history. Um, my oldest brother didn't leave with us, but apart from that, our family left intact. So I have one brother still in the PBCC. Um, For many, many years, I married, I actually married an ex-member of the PBCC. We met and married outside. We had children. We got on with life. And I would say about um, 12 years ago, I had a phone call from my brother in the PBCC. And this had never happened. He had never called me. We'd had very, very occasional contact. We didn't know when he'd married. We didn't know when he'd had children. Um, We'd had occasional contact over issues with my parents but that was it um he phoned me and it was probably about the back end of 2011 and in the phone call he asked me if I as somebody not opposed to the brethren would be prepared to write a letter to the charity commission supporting the brethren as a charitable entity um (laughs) Uh. I declined that, but what it triggered in me was the sort of what could be so important that my brother would pick up the phone and phone me and ask that question. So I started to do a bit of research around it. And that's basically sort of what I wanted to talk about today is what the issues were and how the resolution on the issues decided between the Brethren and the Charity Commission could help to bring about change or even help members that are still in the Brethren if they're listening. So that's a very brief synopsis of where I've came from and how I got involved with this. Um, Subsequent to that, we have been involved with the Charity Commission thing. We met with them in the summer, no, the summer of 2015. We had a meeting with them um, to discuss the issues. Um, I personally have tried to challenge my brother's behaviour towards my parents who are not in the Brethren, um, and it was unsuccessful. Um, I can explain why later in the podcast. But to give a little bit of the history of the background, um, I don't know if I, sh- should I start there, giving a very brief bit of the history of how the yeah I would yeah. yeah so. Um, Richard, please correct me if I'm wrong in any factual information because I know you were probably still in the PBCC when the issues first rose, but I'll again keep it succinct. Um, There was one particular Brethren Gospel Hall Trust, the Preston Down Trust in the UK, that had to apply for its charitable status. 
Now, the reason the Gospel Hall Trust had to reapply for their charitable status was because in the UK, there was a law change in 2006 that said charities had to evidence that they were there for public benefit. Now, prior to that, any religious charity under charity law that claimed it was a religious organization automatically got charitable status. But the change in law meant that they then had to prove that they were providing public benefit as well as being a religious organization or through being a religious organization. And the Preston Down Trust came unstuck because the Charity Commission basically turned down their application for charitable status. Um, as a result of that, I think the Brethren went on a very massive offensive to defend their charitable status and they lobbied MPs, um, they submitted all sorts of evidence that showed they were there for public benefit, their street pe preachings, their, um, the openness and of easy access of their church worship. That said a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I actually had one member of the House of Lords say to me the level of lobbying was unprecedented. She had never seen um, lobbying like that. There were brethren allegedly in, I mean, Richard's nodding his head, but there were brethren in the House of Commons daily talking to MPs. They very much played the card. They were a religious minority that were being persecuted, which of course was quite a popular card to play. Um, and ultimately the Charity Commission backed down and granted them their charitable status. There was a but to this. The way in which they got their charitable status was every Brethren Gospel Hall Trust, which I think there's probably somewhere in the region of 60 odd in the UK, I, I can't remember the actual number, but something like that, had to agree to adopt a deed of variation into their trustees. And this deed of variation included a document called the Faith and Practice document that laid out in their deeds how they saw their faith being demonstrated in practice that showed um, the public benefit. And sorry, I'll backtrack a, a slight bit. The other concern of the charity commissions was not just the demonstration of public benefit, it was also the evidence they had of detriment and harm that was caused by the PBCC. And a lot of that evidence of detriment and harm came from ex-members, but not only ex-members, they actually commissioned a full report into the PBCC by quite an eminent doctor called Dr. Eileen Barker, um, who gave a very fair report on the PBCC's practices. So it wasn't just um, ex-members stories of how they've been cut off from families and all the things that you've discussed on your podcast that cause so much harm to people. Um, there was an independent report. And in charity law, if it can be evidence that the detriment and harm outweighs any public benefit, that charity cannot register as a charity. So that's in essence the decision the Charity wow. Commission made was whether the evidence of harm they had outweighed the um, evidence of public benefit they had. And they ultimately decided that it didn't, but there was a but. It was this faith in practice document that had to be adopted. 
and it was also um, reading through the document, which I had a quick read just before we started this discussion, they said it was obvious to them that the Preston Down Trust was evolving and changing as a charity. And that was one of the other reasons why they agreed to run with giving them their charitable status. Um, the Faith in Practice document comes at the end of the 55 pages and it basically lays out their principles of separation. And I suppose this is something that I'd like to highlight for any members in the Brethren who listen to these podcasts, they specifically state separation is moral and not physical. Talking about separation from evil, I'm not talking about separation from people. Separation from evil is moral and not physical. The Charity Commission state in their report that some of their concerns was the physical separations, i.e. families being split up, not mixing with the wider community and the insular environment of the PBCC. Um, and they specifically say it's moral, not physical. So that, I suppose, could be interpreted and we could discuss that <laughs> in many ways. What is moral separation and what is physical separation? If you take it to the very simple no eating and drinking, I would probably argue that's a physical separation to say I will not eat and drink with you. If you take it in the terms of, well, actually, I'm eating and drinking with you, but I don't agree with you and I think you're evil, but I'm still being polite and nice and kind to you because I'm a caring person, that would might be moral separation. But I don't know. I'm sure all of you may have views on that as well. Um, so that was one thing. The other aspect was their treatment of former members and their treatment of members who leave the community. And there's a paragraph in there in which they say, should somebody wish to leave the community, um, the PBCC will support that person to do so where that person has been totally dependent on the community, which, of course, we as ex-members all know most people there are totally dependent on the community, their jobs, their livelihoods, their families. Everything in their life is dependent on the community. So anyone trying to leave needs that stepping stone to find an alternative life. Um, and it says that as far as reasonably practical and that that support could be financial or, you know, physical and so on. The other aspect of what they say in here is that every endeavour will be made, um, I can quote the actual wording, but I'm going off memory now, every endeavour will be made to allow, to continue family relationships once a member of the community leaves. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't happen as we know, as we absolutely know. Now, I've tried to put this document to test a few times with people trying to leave um, with my own brother and so on. The answer you always get is also covered in the document and in their faith in practice. And it says it's up to each individual member of the community. To, they have a choice. They can decide how much contact they have. They can choose, decide whether they want to stay and leave. They can choose whether they talk to their family, not in the brethren. So if you challenge it, say, with any of the Gospel Hall Trusts or the trustees, the church effectively wash their hands of it and say, it's up to each individual member. The church doesn't influence 
Um, and that's exactly what happened when I challenged, not, not my brother's non-communication with me. Um, it was more my brother's non-communication with my parents who are not in the brethren and who are obviously getting elderly. Um, you know, it's mother and son, it's their firstborn son. And it was that I challenged. Um, but it was apparently up to my brother to decide. Um, and they have a choice about it. Now, my argument to that is, although it's quite hard to say, I, I don't believe the brethren do have a choice about it because that's a bit like saying, as somebody pointed out to me, if you're born in China, you'll speak Mandarin because that's what you're born and brought up with. But you wouldn't say that person chooses to speak Mandarin. They, they do because that's what they're brought up with. And to me, yeah. being born and brought in the, up in the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church is the same. You don't choose to separate yourself. You don't choose to cut off your family that leave. That's your mindset. That's your that, that there is no element of choice. I don't know what your thoughts are mm. on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing that strikes me about it is, of course, if say you're inside the brethren and your brother leaves and you decide mm. to maintain contact with him, the next thing that's going to happen is that you, is that you yourself are going to be ostracized because you've been maintaining contact with him. Yes, it's still your choice. And then the people who are ostracizing you in turn, it's their personal choice, and so on ad infinitum. So yes, yes, they have a choice, but they will be kicked out if they do. Yes. But the hand, the hand behind the scene is never revealed, which is the constant, um, it's a combination of peer pressure and ministry and past ministry and phone calls and priestly mm. visits, none of which are actually documented, with, of course, the, the exception of the printed ministry, but which leads me to a question, that horrific incident with Bruce Hales um, in Sutton, where he was telling someone mm. to take rat poison rather than contact his own sister, how did, could they possibly fit that into their faith in practice document? Because it was a very blatant example of telling someone not to contact their own sister who was out of fellowship by so, the leader of the PBCC themselves. So it was just hard to wriggle out of that one. It is hard, but they, I, I, I think the excuse used was the same public face they used. The comments were taken out of context, so on and so <laughs> forth. Um, yeah, uh, yeah it, uh, I, I will tell you now, the Charity Commission are very aware of every word of that ministry, yes, um, yes. but still chose to take no action. Yes, very cowardly of them, really, because it is, yes. they couldn't really have asked for a a more glaring yeah. example. I mean, it had all the elements yeah. there that they objected to, didn't it? Yeah, and, and those particular comments were said um, in a building that is a place of public religious worship. Yes. I know yes. there was only brethren there, but it is registered yes. as a place of public <laughs> religious worship. So yes. um, yeah. you would think that there would be concerns those sorts of comments were being made. Yes. It was also upsetting. Sorry, John. Well, no, I was going to say, what a foundation so for him to come out and say what he said in that in, in that meeting, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just this subtle influence that we know he has, this subtle but powerful influence that we know he has when it comes to um, members in the PBCC communicating with those that have left, right? Like, it's, yeah, 
And this yeah. is the thing about Bruce Hales that I keep on trying to, to reiterate is he has this very subtle, smooth way of knocking down all these walls, all these ideologies that people could have with just this subtle, smooth one sentence, right? He's just got such a way, the way he, and I mean, he doesn't come across as a smart man when he speaks. He doesn't. I mean, when we've heard him talk, it's not, it's not like some um, minister you would see on TV or in other establishments, right? He's, he doesn't come across that smart, but he's just got this way of maneuvering his words that just knock everybody down in front of him and they don't realize it. Mm. I think that comes down to his perfect self-confidence and the fact that he knows that his entire audience will automatically believe everything he says. So he makes these statements very calmly, which his audience accepts as, as being completely factual and true. But to those of us outside, we listen to it. You say, look, he's lying through his teeth. But he doesn't give any of the kind of visual clues that he knows he's saying something dishonest because he has this complete confidence in his own ability to mislead everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's also this concept, isn't there, that's um, of the that I think the brethren have of the thought police. And you you go back to what you're saying about that. I suppose you call it a conscience. But I think a lot of the brethren um, live with that. And Bruce Hales is part of that thought police. You know, Mm. well, I'm not going to say or do that. Because what would Bruce Hale say, you know, and, and so, so it comes back to the things that are saying that if, if we were to say, well, I'd like to contact my relative that's out of the brethren just to check they're okay and, you know, they're well, and then it's, oh, I better not do that. But it's not even having a conversation. It's those, that, that thought police thing that's completely ski whiff with the brethren from the terms yes. of conscience. That's, you just um, know you should not do it. it. Right. You yeah, know, you just know, you, you just know yeah. you don't do that. Right. Because I, that's what you've been taught from birth. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like yeah. it's, one of the biggest things that has astonished me is it's been over six months since I came out with the truth. Right. And not one person from Maple Creek has contacted me. It just blows my mind. Every day that goes by, when I haven't gotten a phone call from Tim Bond or from somebody that I know supposedly is helping the young people who have left and the young people in there, not one, not one contact, right? Like, it's just absolutely absurd. And, you know, those of us that are out here know, okay, if we were to call up our parents or if we were to call up somebody, they'd probably have a conversation with us, right? They would have, it was, it'd be a very diluted conversation. The thing is, is they never call us on their own. They would never, I would never, my sister would never just call me up and be like, hey, I just want to check in with you and see how you're doing. But that would never happen. Do that. Uh, Not by her choice. choice. Only if they want a letter written to the charity commission. That's the only time it happened for me. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right, Cheryl. A a call from somebody in there, you you just, it never happens. No, It would never happen. No, no. Again, it's their conscience, because if someone calls them, that's not of their volition. So they kind of feel, well, that's different. But they're not going to do it because they'd have a bad conscience about it. They'd have to confess that they had made a phone call and then they'd have to explain why they'd made the phone call. So the thing is, Bruce Hales doesn't police their thoughts. He trains them to police their own thoughts from a very young age. 
Yeah. That's the clever thing about yeah. it. I had an interesting um, experience with my brother. Actually, while all this was going on, it was back in 2013. I have two older brothers. The middle one of the two, who is out of the brethren, was critically ill. He's fine now, but we did think it was life and death. So I obviously spoke to my older brother to tell him that um, my brother, middle brother was ill. And um, during that time, I probably spoke to my brother in only about my brother's illness and you know but probably several times a week and the conversation did veer and it was almost like um it was it was very strange I, I got on very well with my oldest brother and it was almost like normality at that for a very small point in time the minute my middle brother became better and it was about three four months the shutters came down. Right. Completely came yeah. down. They just went room. Now, analyzing that, it was all, I mean, I don't know. This, this is speculation. It was almost as if while there was this critical crisis situation, the brethren would find it core, his thought police or whoever he felt he was accountable to found it quite acceptable in his head for him to chat, to phone, to, to, you know, respond to my calls, give me an update on how things were going, retreatment and so on and so forth. The minute that crisis was over, whew, yeah. yeah, that's how it goes. So and I don't know if that gives an yeah. insight into the perhaps the levels at which they might communicate. I don't know. I think it's that they conscience needs something to hang an excuse on. Yes. So while he had that sort of overriding conscience that your mutual brother was extremely sick, he yes. actually enjoyed the contact with you. But as soon he as there wasn't that excuse, then he would feel guilty about it. Yes. And, yeah. and it shows that the actual family feelings are, are actually there, but they're suppressed. Yeah. It's not that yes. they hate you. It's no. that their conscience forbids them from speaking to you. Yes. And, and I suppose, you know, I mean, we, we talked about it quite a lot afterwards as a, a family. And I suppose um, if anyone was saying, well, why are you having contact with your sister? There was a reason, as you yeah. say, that yeah. was completely acceptable in the brethren's eyes. You know, yeah. that it, it was, yeah. you know, unlike you know, the, the ministry about the rat poison, there was a reason that made <laughs> it completely acceptable for that period of time. Um, it, it the hardest thing is though when you get the shutters come down again that hurts it's mm. almost better not to have had the contact to be honest because it hurts but hey ho <laughs> yeah we move yeah. on <laughs> yeah yeah um with this but, with this with this a charity commission report and everything that they put into place how do they keep tabs on whether they're following through with this i mean now that i've heard the story kind of come out how you you how you played it out it really shows why they're so adamant with RRT and why they really, really push their RRT in every way and why they look for those pictures and those photo opportunities and those yes. TV news production opportunities yes. is because it is their way of holding on to their charity status. But I guess my question is, how do they keep, how do they make sure that they're following all these, um, points that they yeah, gave them that they yeah, had that they're actually haven't slipped back into their old ways which essentially i think they have done the answer to that is they don't 
So what they did for a period of time, they couldn't monitor all the Gospel Hall Trusts, but they did monitor Preston Down Trust. So, so the all the Gospel Hall Trusts adopted this deed of variation in through the, through 2014 that in that year. Um, and they um, monitored Preston Down Trust. And there is a subsequent short report that came out, I think it may have been 2015, I, I can't remember the actual date, that says in the time they've monitored Preston Down Trusts, they have seen evidence of um, continuing and strengthening engagement outside the community. No <laughs> evidence of detriment and harm at all in that time they've monitored them. Therefore, they're quite happy. That's I mean, it. it's completely stupid because they, the brethren <laughs> knew which trust was being monitored. Yes. You know, it's like saying, um, you know, there's a gang of bank robbers. So you tell the robbers, we're going to watch this one bank for six months. And if it doesn't get robbed, then we'll know you're not robbing banks that, anymore. I mean, that's, that's exactly, the logic of it. Yeah, yeah. That, that is exactly what happened. Preston Down Trust did not shut anybody up. They did not withdraw from oh. anybody at that time. They would be monitored. Yeah, yeah. Probably would have been a good time to have been a member of Preston Down Trust because you could have got away with everything. Well, I mean, one thing, one thing that has changed since that faith in practice yes. document came out, and you know, I've seen this from from the inside, is that they suddenly became very reluctant to formally or publicly yeah. shut anyone up or withdraw from anyone. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, the words were never used. Um, you know, I was told, I was told. I mean, it's actually in Regina. I mean, I was told. You know, I got in trouble over this. I had this terrible road accident. Another problem came up and brother said to me, um, yeah, you're not going to be, you, you know, you're not going to be confined about this. You're not going to be shut up. Anyway, within a week, I was confined and I went back to the brother and I said, you know, you said this wasn't happen. Oh, well, yeah, well, you're not confined or shut up. This is something different, you know. So they're still <laughs> doing it. They're just not naming it. Yeah, right. So not. that you could never say that this actually happened to you. I just wasn't, it would be best if I didn't come to the meeting and I wasn't asleep with my wife and I wasn't asleep in the same room, but I'm not confined or shut up. Yes. Um, and, and then they use this, they basically use what I call constructive dismissal, where they make your life so miserable, you take yourself out and then they say, no, no, we didn't withdraw from him. He took himself off. And that's that. So they, that's they've exactly changed to that do. degree. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they do now. Um, and one of the charity commission's big concern was the um, confining and withdrawing from people and, and the effect that had on families and so on. Mm. And Eileen Barker in her report summarized this, in my opinion, very accurately as an independent person. Um, the Brethren denied that 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 her report was accurate and they didn't have too in fairness and they didn't have too much chance to comment on her report but excuse me putting my glasses on i will just read yeah um they they actually listed out in the um document how they cope with confining and shutting up um so on, on page 50 in circumstances necessitating pastoral care including but not limited to where fault occurs, and there's a scriptural quote, then pastoral care is provided. Where church admission is necessary, due provision will be made for the welfare of the church member who is under review. This should cover emotional, health, family and financial considerations. 
I'll skip read a little bit. Um, so basically, that is how they would now approach confining and shutting up. Um, Persons investigating any matter should those that are morally or spiritually qualified, sorry, persons investigating any matter should be those that are morally and spiritually qualified in order to display the necessary advocacy for and humility towards the person concerned. <laughs> this, <laughs> this must include the ability to ascertain whether the person being cared for shows repentance and contrition. Uh, there's a bit about facts where spiritual persons discern that God has forgiven the person concerned, but the matters confessed to by the person concerned extend beyond the fault and need to be settled in the assembly. The first principle for the assembly to consider is remission and forgiveness on the basis of the Holy Scriptures. And it goes on. Wow. Um, they And then the, 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 the interesting bit that goes back to what Richard was saying about making it to be somebody's choice to leave. If repeated pastoral care is unsuccessful, then the next stages of admonition could include, one, inviting the person being cared for to attend a meeting of the assembly to listen to an appeal, and if suitable, present their differences. Two, a shrinking from the person concerned, which involves minimizing social contact with the person for a limited period to provide them with the space and time to make a private and personal choice about their continuing in the fellowship. So that's how they get around it. Yeah. Wow. So, so I, the, I, pro the problem is it's impossible in reality to police any of this because yes. it's all put in in religious language. Yes. Uh, I mean, in reality, the only way the Charity Commission could effectively police it is simply by looking at the um, looking at the facts. I mean, yes. Are people being contacted or not? Period. Without digging into exactly who was making that decision. I mean, and the yeah. reality is that people who've people have been cut off and they remain cut off yeah. and and that's not the choice of the people who've been cut off yeah that's i mean the it, choice of brethren members it is it, the, the angle taken by the charity commission was that they this is back in 2014 15 they as a regulatory body they would prefer to help a charity to change rather than take away charitable status um and what's put forward in their report was very much, this is a charity that's evolving and changing. Mm. Um, but my argument to that is, if we say that all the Gospel Hall Trusts adopted this in 2014, since the end of 2014, how many people have left the Brethren? And I will say just in the UK at the moment, because although the Brethren say this is universal, I understand that they will use the argument, oh, that only applies to the UK. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how many people have left, say, since the start of 2015, that it has still resulted in them losing contact with their children, with their parents? I think I could include you in that one, couldn't I, Richard? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. 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 So how if 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 a, if a person who knew very little about the Brethren read this document, how would they perceive the reality of how the brethren behave? Because I don't think most reasonable people would think that 
every effort is taken to help people who want to leave <laughs> and that every effort is made to continue family <laughs> relationships when a member leaves. Um, exactly, yeah. And that's the problem. And I suppose the, the only people, I think, you can challenge the Charity Commission. You can send them what you perceive to be breaches of this. You can tell them about cases where this just hasn't happened. Um, generally speaking, you get a very stock answer that says, thank you for your contact, a little blurb about the regulator and what they do, and mm. we will keep your information on file. But at this point in time, the Charity Commission, I see no reason to investigate. Mm. It so, really needs a change of law. It needs a further step. Yeah, and with a, when you finally get a change from your particularly lousy government in the UK, it does <laughs> yes. look like the Labour government does have a take a dim view of the pbcc so that could yes. be very promising yes yes it could and i agree with you and um the national secular society actually brought out a report two or three years back so the charity law at the moment as i said right at the beginning if you set up a charity whose aims and objectives include furtherance of religion or you know the preaching of the gospel or whatever religion it is you are automatically mm. as long as you can demonstrate public benefit now register as a charity yes. the national secular society did a full report asking about the relevance of this in the uk in today's you know today's society in that um should a charity that's there for religion automatically get charitable status yeah um, it was a report it hasn't gone any further than that yeah. uh, but um, that's sort of what you're saying essentially richard isn't it that it's um there is an argument with, I think it was the last consensus showed that less than half of the UK population claimed to be Christian. Yes. Um, so whatever your personal yeah. views are, society has changed <laughs> since that yes. charity it, it, whatever it, set up. It's discrimination against persons who are non-religious as well, yes. if they make a special provision for things that come under the heading of religion. I mean, the other thing that strikes me very strongly that could be looked at from a, a government point of view um, is the fact that the, the PBCC apparently only spend about 2% of their charitable income on yes. external benefit. Now, if, uh, and that's extraordinary in the sense that if you were to take that argument down to individuals, I could say if I gave 2% of my income to a charitable cause, then I shouldn't have to pay any income tax. Yeah. I mean, that's effectively what, what they're saying. The, the tiny, a tiny sprinkle of fairy dust on the top of this great big commercial empire, tiny sprinkle of charitable dust, and the whole thing gets tax exempt. So yeah. why couldn't it be regulated in such a way that, yes, they get tax relief on the 2% they spend for genuinely charitable purposes, and they can damn well pay their taxes on the rest. Yeah, I mean, the I government would be very happy. It would probably fund half well, the NHS if they did that. It probably that, would, it? yeah. 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 It would. I mean, it's, it, it's a really interesting one, because if you read through some of the um, charity reports from the, you know, from, the, from the Brethren charities that are registered, like um, the Grace Trust or so on, they yes. do do that. They, they list all the charities they give to, but as a, as a percentage of their income, it's not very high. But equally, they come out with very, um, I don't know what word to call them really, statements, for example, that say things like um, our charity money is used to help people with housing. 
people in the, <laughs> people in the community so the community yes. which now somebody that doesn't understand how the brethren structure works would read a sentence that say x percent whatever percentage higher than two percent mm. will help with um uh, housing for people in the community and they think oh isn't that nice helping people whereas in essence what they're actually doing is helping brethren people yeah. buy expensive houses in the UK yes. because they need to be detached <laughs> yes. so it is yes. helping people exactly. the right questions are not being asked <laughs> yes, well, exactly. I, I, you know. it's just crazy yeah it is and yeah. it's about trying to the government bodies joining up the dots and realizing that this spin that these this wording is it, it could be read if you don't understand the brethren and how they operate it could be read one mm. way but if you do understand you the community when they say they're spending this money on the community it only refers by and large to brethren community not the community of the uk or you know because i mean what, what what's um, going to happen what's going to happen i hope is uh, labor have spoken about this they want to remove mm -hmm. charitable status of private schools yes that will wipe out because i mean yeah. probably probably 80 percent of the charitable tax receipts the grace trust anywhere in the uk and i'm assuming the grace trust is a fairly good snapshot of what goes on globally Probably 80% of it does go to their private yes. schools, doesn't it? Yes, and then it does, there's yeah. maybe 20% that's just surplus that's swilling yeah. around they don't know what to do with. Yes. So that's going to wipe out a big chunk of it. Yeah. And then yeah. if they then if they look at the rest of it and they start asking, well, you know, exactly what are you doing with this money in the community? Uh, I mean, I'm a bit suspicious. I've never seen or heard of anyone actually in the Brethren receiving any kind of charitable help from any kind of Brethren trust. I mean, it may happen in a few right. cases, but it ah. must be very rare. I do know of one case. Right, right. <laughs> I do know of one. Um, and, and it was exactly as I demonstrated. It was um, a house move that, I'll be careful what I say because it's, I, I want to protect yes. the people who told me, yeah. but yes. it was a house move whereby um, the family wanted to move to a different area but couldn't afford it. Right. So yes. one of the brethren charities made up the shortfall, which was substantial. Of yes, you know the, but essentially that trust has a claim on the house. Oh yes, yes they are. So 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 although yes, so so effectively they give them the capital. So they they give yes. them the grant of the capital. They don't, as I understand it, they don't exactly have to pay it back, but. Yes. But if they sold <laughs> the house, they would have yeah. to pay it back. Yeah, yes. and, and, and if you think about it, there's probably nothing illegal about that because the trust no. is demonstrating they're investing in property that they would then have a claim on in the event of, you know, um, think some, something yes. happening. So, so they can demonstrate that's a financial investment of the trust money. The person, people concerned, get to move to an even more expensive house, which is... Um... <laughs> it's not exactly helping the homeless, is it? Which it's is what not you would... exactly... <laughs> Yeah. it's no. what you would imagine from reading yeah. their description of it yes. yes yeah exactly if you read the description you'd be thinking they are trying to find home you know yeah moves over yeah. people's yeah. whereas it's not really it's on a different level so so is yeah. the government is the government in the uk is it are they very much tied hand in hand with the pbcc too like they are in other places like are they very politically intertwined I, Richard could probably answer that better than me. I believe so. 
but I don't think we've had as much exposure of it as they have, say, in Canada and in New Zealand and Australia. Mm. Um, I certainly know the Brethren um, are very friendly with MPs. Um, well, Damien was- Hasty did a very interesting series of Twitter posts, tweets. Yeah. In which, all of which were pictures of Conservative MPs taking tours of Brethren-owned businesses. And yes. there were dozens and yes. dozens of there them. There were dozens of them. And, and, you know, given the proportion of businesses in the UK that are Brethren, it's very clear to me, and I can be a little less tactful than Jackie, um, seeing as I'm out of the country, <laughs> that yes, they are very much in all in the same yeah. bed with the Conservative Party, yeah in multiple ways at yeah. the cabinet level and at the MP level. And of course, the whole the whole um, VIP, private VIP lane to pandemic contracts mm. is proof of that, because mm. that's, that's an extraordinary handout from a political party to a very unpleasant and actually numerically quite small cult in the country. And yeah. don't you try and tell me that there aren't kickbacks and handbacks out of all that. I mean, it's already coming out, isn't it? I mean, in in some of the non-brethren cases of VIP contracts, there was that what's her name, Baroness Moan Baroness or something. Baroness Moan, yes, that's right. Yeah, Moan, yeah, very appropriate name. Moan um, or something, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the money gets back to the to the political people who award the contract, um, allegedly. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I would agree. And I suppose my hesitation about the um, help in general elections and so on is because I am 99% certain it would go on because it has done in every country. And as we know, what one country does in the PBCC, another country does because it's usually a universal directive. But I have no evidence of that. It's the same guy running the whole thing. The same guy running the whole thing. He's in every country. Yeah. um... Yeah, yeah. There's no shortage of proof for that, that, you know, especially when you look at all the contracts that were given through COVID, right? Like, I mean, the other interesting thing about the law in the UK, we'll digress a little bit from the document, but I'll come back to that. But the law in the UK, I think um, one state in Australia just passed it, but we have had the coercive control laws in place for since 2015. the coercive control laws, they've been tried and tested now. There have been quite a few cases where they've been proven um, and they were basically brought in in the UK as law to address cases of domestic abuse that weren't physical because physical abuse is relatively or probably more readily provable if somebody presses charges than coercive abuse. The problem we have in the UK, which is something um, report has come out to try and address is these coercive control tactics are laid out in law and if you read the tactics I can't remember off the top of my head that it's judged whether it is coercive control it's things like um, telling people somebody who they can and can't be friends with telling them what to wear you know having that level of control where they can go where they live that's it where they live where they can go and everything um the PBCC do just about every one of them to their members. Mm. But the problem in law is at the moment in the UK, it says these can only be found proven if found proven in a close family relationship. So it could happen between partners. It could happen between husband and wife. It could even happen between parents and children 
and it has indeed there was one case where that did happen nothing related to the pbcc so if in the uk anyone were to try and bring a case against they could not bring a case against the pbcc for coercive control but they could bring a case against their family well nobody's going to want to do that are they no. you know it, yeah. you're not going to want to bring a case of uh, so there is a big call to change it um, to coercive control can also be demonstrated in a group setting. In yeah. other words, a group can coercively control its members. If that became law, and there is a call for it to become law, then that would be a game changer. Absolutely. And I think I mean, that's well, our key. That is that is our yeah. key in, in solving any of this. Why I'm so fixated on this course of control law to get established yeah. anywhere, right? Because if we can get it into yeah. one area, then we just need to find a way to get it into the other countries. I actually had a lady reach out to me um, who is a PhD student. Um, actually, can't remember where she reached out to me from, but somewhere in Canada, I believe it was Canada. And she actually wants to sit down and work with me on course of control and the ins and outs of it. And I messaged her back yesterday. I'm like, I'm all in. Like, where do I sign up? Because I do know that that is... I mean, I would bypass everything. I would stop everything if someone came to me and said, okay, Cheryl, I need you to put your 24-7 time into the course of control. That's where I would jump. I would I would go straight into that because I know that that is what we need in order to be able yeah. to do what we need to do to help our families that are still inside. Yes. Yes, because it makes what's... If it became... Um, I mean, there was a report brought out earlier this year by the Family Survival Trust, um, which uh, was about coercive control and group and calling for a law change. And so the Family Survival Trust are a charity in the UK uh, that help sort of not not just but cult leavers or people who have got involved with cults need help. And um, I've had some dealings with them. And this report is calling for a change in law for group coercive mm. control. And if that became law, um, in any country, it would basically make what the brethren do illegal. Yeah, yeah, that's but, and that's the long and short of it. It would, it would not, not just make it unethical or immoral. It, it would be illegal because what what the report was saying with a group doing it, what you have to focus on is the behaviour and the outcome. And the behaviour of a group that's coercively controlling is identical to the coercive control of a controlling partner or a controlling parent that's not allowing their children the freedom they should have. Um, and the outcome is the same. The harm caused is the same. Yeah. yeah. So you shouldn't be focusing, what it's saying, you shouldn't be focusing on who's doing it. You should be focusing on the behaviour and the outcome. But, that's but that's very very interesting because you, you've then got a you've got a, a you've then got an interesting situation because you've already got a coercive control law which applies to family situations yes. Yes. and so then if you also have one that applies to cult situations they can no longer um pass responsibility down to the family i mean already you might say it's difficult for them to pass responsibility to the family because if this behavior and outcome is taking place um if you if the brethren say well it's the family then the family are already breaking the existing law yes but of course then the family can pass it back to the cult and then that's not illegal at the moment no but if you close both doors then yeah you know someone's nowhere somewhere. to go <laughs> nowhere to go yeah <laughs> there's yeah. nowhere to go so it, it it it's very slow like anything legal but I I'd like to think it will happen. And I think if it happens in one country, as you yeah. say, Cheryl, that's 
it's a precedent then for the other. I mean, yeah. I think, I can't remember which state it was in Australia, but they got, is it New South Wales that got- Yeah, New South Wales. Yeah. passed this year or last year. So there's yet another one. Uh, I think their laws are very similar to the one we part, the UK passed in 2015. Um, things just move slowly, but that would make very categorically make what the PBCC do illegal. Um, mm. In the meantime, <laughs> yeah. And, and it would have very there. little, it would have very little effect on, on mainstream Christian churches yes. because they don't do No, that. because your mainstream Christian like, church is just those churches that you're going to on Sunday that are given yes. their, yeah. the regular preachings and yeah. testimony being read, right? It's not, it's not what, let's go, I mean, there's other religions. We got Scientology, you got Jehovah Witnesses, you got Mormons, you've got PBCC. We have a lot of these, these big groups that all are suffering from the same part of shunning and the same part of excommunication and all of the, I mean, there's, it's not just the PBCC that are suffering from this. There's a lot. So the call is huge. I mean, yeah. I know I follow a lot of ex uh, Jehovah Witnesses on Twitter and yes. stuff. And I mean, they all are asking for the same course of control lots, not just us ex-PBCC members no, that are asking no. for it. There's so many that are asking for it. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's just, I always put it out there when we have this topic is like, I, I invite any and all, anybody who has got, knows how to get things going or knows how to um, help us get this going. I invite it. And that's how that email came to me was that I had on another podcast, I'd asked for it and she had messaged me, but it is, it's like, we, we, we invite everybody to come in and help us because helping us is also helping other people. It's not Absolutely. just the PBCC. No, I agree with you. It's not just the PBCC, that particular law. And that's one um, very interesting point made in the Family Survival Trust report. They interviewed a lot of ex-cult members, some of which were ex-brethren. They anonymized all of them, but they but they weren't all religious ex-cult members. They were, um, you know, sort of some Buddhist monks ex-cult members. So it was a cross section of society. But what came out of it loud and clear, the behavior and the outcome is the same. Yeah. And the leaving is as traumatic when, you, when you've got a very insular environment that does mm. not want you to leave. The consequences of it are traumatic. Um, so it, it is a very interesting report. Yeah. And I think um, I think sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Finish what you're saying. I, I was just going to say this is, again, said a little bit cynically, but I, I think in the UK, it seems to be mass lobbying of the MPs works. <laughs> <laughs> and I do, and I think that's a way we do need to, we need to, the PCC have been doing, right, is the lobbying of the PMs yeah. and lobbying of government, right? I do think yeah. that it, is our, it, one of our ways it is, that we haven't knocked on It's raising the awareness, I think, yeah. in whichever way we can, which is why I have big respect for your podcast, all of you, and for the work James DeFore is doing and anyone else in the past, because it, it's just keeping on raising that awareness, keeping on... Um, putting the message out there. I mean, I've spoken about this before, but that, that that's irrelevant really, because you need to keep on speaking about it. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's, it's reinforcing. Yeah. yeah. To get I, I say that the, the battle is lost or won on the Twitter search engine, because yeah. um, any, any member of parliament or influential person that's approached by the PBCC, the first thing that person's going to do is Google PBCC. Yeah. Yeah. And at the moment, <laughs> if you do that in Canada, you get you get a lot of uh, very interesting headlines uh, and that that's devastating i mean to to, yeah. to anyone who has concern about their public image they're not going to be want to be associated with this group 
I mean, even if the stuff about them wasn't true, they wouldn't want to be associated yeah. because it's all about when you're a politician, it's all about PR. And the only way you get a high ranking on Google is by continuously generating new information. Google search engine, if you if you just copy and paste something that was posted 10 years ago, Google sees that and says this is not original content and it doesn't, it gets very low on their list. And it's really only effective if you get onto the first page. Um, and so as you say, Jackie, it's about continuously generating yeah genuinely new information and and that keeps you on the front page and it, and it has a devastating I, I tell you it's a devastating effect on them um, there was a very interesting article recently about the about the two uh, brethren the one schools one in USA one in Canada that visited yes. the uh, that the visited of all places the Human Rights Museum and it's really hard to talk about it without falling off your chair laughing but <laughs> they, wanted, they had some of the exhibits censored but the thing that was interesting is that the, the brethren spent I suspect millions of dollars trying to keep the names of those schools out of the press and and they gave two reasons one of which was very honest and one of which was very dishonest mm. the very dishonest reason they gave is that it would affect enrollment in their schools which of course is complete bullshit the very <laughs> honest reason they gave <laughs> is that it would make it very hard for them to enroll new staff and teachers and it certainly <laughs> would yeah. and of course they try yeah. and get the very best teachers and again as I said, you're approached by the PBCC, they want you to be a headmaster or teacher. The first thing you do is Google it and you see something like that. You're, you're not going to want that on your CV if yeah. you've got to want to have a career in teaching. And so I yeah. think it really, really does hurt them in ways that we don't perhaps think about. And, yeah. and the, the, other, the other way it hurts them, of course, is all their existing teachers and existing staff of brethren-owned companies and existing non-brethren UBT staff they all devour these podcasts and read them and they get more and more suspicious and more and more uncomfortable with what they're part of. Mm -hmm. And then one of two things happen. They either leave or they start leaking juicy little bits and pieces to us. You might say we're just a collection of rather odd people in, in an odd place sort of speaking in the wilderness, mm -hmm. but it, it's not like that because Put PBCC into Google, you'll see just how important it is. Yeah. What we're all doing. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And one of the main um, reasons that I mean, we we, we talked about quite a lot, so it's been good. But I, I wanted was to, if there are people in the PBCC that listen to these podcasts, and I hope there are. I'm sure there are. Oh, there are. I yeah. would like. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain there are. I would like them to actually go back and reread this document. Um, because the whole purpose of this is a document that the PBCC put forward as the way their faith work in practice. And I would like members of the PBCC to read it and then ask themselves, is this what I'm doing? Yeah. And actually, yeah. if it isn't what they're doing, this document allows them to do it if they want to. Yes. Because it's on their website. It. It, 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 it's, it's deeply on their website. buried, but it's actually on their website. It is. The funny thing is, when it was presented in the UK, it was read out. Everyone was yes. given a copy. It was read out. And um, and then I, I can't remember, do you have to sign the copy or something? But then they 
collected all the copies back up again. You weren't allowed to keep yeah. a copy of it. Yes. But then eventually they put it on their website. And I'm sure the only reason that they did that, well, that was that was for the benefit of the charity commission. Was, that yeah. wasn't for the benefit yes. of their members because no. it's kind of pretty well buried in there. It's very hard to yeah. find, but it is. On I'll attach a link. Yeah. So the link will be in the yeah. description of this podcast. Thank you, Cheryl. So yeah, yeah. straight yeah, out. No, please do. do please do because i think it's i you know i i'm certain there are people in the brethren that have questions in their head and i think it, there's certain statements about um the reasonable steps to be taken to keeping family relationships going if that made one person in the pbcc read it and think you know what i want to talk to my father i want to talk mm. to my mother then it's been that document's been worthwhile if it made more than yeah. one so much the better yeah because it, it's trying yeah. to get say what you'd like to get the message in there is actually you can contact your father mother son daughter grandfather whoever it is and you've made that personal choice and because of this document there's actually nothing they can do about it. I know they can put you under a lot of psychological pressure and I understand all that. Uh, mm. And that's the difficult bit. But actually, you are legitimately allowed to do so. Mm. And of course, if they did try and take some action as a result of that, you could just, you can point it out. Okay, it won't have any effect on them. But if you said to them, well, look, you know, I can take this to the charity commission if you yes. keep pursuing me. Absolutely. Then they will back off so fast that their yeah. their shoes will be smoking. Yeah, I, I mean, I've they... been told. Go, yeah, on, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I so said I've been told anecdotally. I don't have evidence of this. That the one thing Bruce Hales is most scared of is losing his charitable state that his the, the pbcc's charitable status instantly in the uk the pbcc do not have charitable status they are a limited company what has charitable status is every individual gospel hall trust yeah so if you look at the pbcc itself is not a registered charity but that's just the side point um there have been a couple of occasions when this document has been used and the effect when somebody recently left has been trying to see members in and the suggestions being they use this document and it has worked limited but worked yeah it does yes. seem to be that if if you can use it as a well look it says here and and so on and so forth um that they within reason I, I suppose, I suspect they don't want their members to understand the nuances of this document mm. in case it's used against them. And I do yes. want their members to understand yeah, I mean, it, exactly it'd be very how this document came about it. and how it can be used. Yeah. yeah. It'd be very realistic to use it from the outside in. Yes. Um, you could use it from the inside out. That would yes. be more difficult. It would be, yeah. Both ways, yes. Both yes. ways. But if enough members used it from inside out, that was the point I was going to yes. make. That I think yes. it's also, yeah. that, like we reiterate again, we're we're not trying to take no. anything down. We're not. We but no. we've got to fix the. That's why I've always asked Bruce. Like, let's sit down and talk. 
I like, I have no issue to sit down and talk with him. I'm not, I'm not there to sit there and berate him or whatever, but let's sit down and fix the issues we have. We have a high level of sexual abuse. We have a high level of spousal abuse. We have a high level of course of control. We've got all these things that are all fixable. They are fixable. But again, I had someone point out to me that their, their system's not broken. He's made it exactly what it needs to be. Yes. He's not a broken system. His system, (laughs) his system is created to do exactly what it is doing. What's broken of it is those that are underneath the system that don't stand up and say something. So when you have a document in your hand like this, I mean, from the amount of emails I get, I know that if you guys start standing up, there's going to be people holding hands. Yep. I, I can guarantee you guys that, that if you just got to yep. be able to stand up and have this courage and say, you know what? No, there needs to be change that happens here. There needs to be change that happens here. If you're seeing somebody who is, let's say, take, for example, somebody who went through a huge spousal abuse. Mm. I watch what I say here. Um, if you, if you witness somebody go through huge spousal abuse and you see the leaders and the brothers that are in taking the lead or helping the leader go and put all their attention on the person that did the abusing and left the wife behind to fend for herself. You should say something, right? Like people have to start speaking up, right? You've just got to learn how to stand up things that are morally wrong. Right. These are these are things that you can't you shouldn't just be turning a blind eye. I mean, the amount of emails that I get about people who have been sexually abused in there is absolutely atrocious. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. It makes me just sick to my stomach to have to go to bed at nighttime knowing that this is still happening. And yet six months later, there's no, nobody's called me. Nobody's called me to say, hey, you know what, Cheryl, let's sit down and talk. Let's talk about really what, what, what happened with Alan. And I, you know, I'm going to come back and be like, you guys knew that this was happening. He's got a and lot. Let's see if we can prevent it happening to anyone else. Right. Let's make sure that this is not happening. I do have to make a correction. And another podcast that I had said that um, Ellen was not allowed to go to meeting so he actually was, it was someone corrected me yesterday. And he, so he was allowed to go to meeting. He just wasn't allowed to partake in the meeting. So he wasn't allowed to make a remark. I, I just got to clear this up because this is even kind of yeah. funnier. He was allowed to go to meeting. <laughs> he just wasn't allowed to make any remarks or comment in the meeting. So I want to clear this up, that he still was allowed to go, but he wasn't allowed to t- partake in it. He's allowed to I'm, partake I'm now. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> let's sit down. And you know what, What, what's piling up out here on our laps, the the longer you wait in there, the more embarrassment you're going to have and the more things are going to be falling at your feet. So we can bypass some of this if you just sat down with us and we had this conversation. Yeah, hmm. there's so, a very interesting question. Sorry, Carmen, you're going to say something. I'm- no, no, go ahead. <laughs> there's a there's a very interesting question that I've often asked myself. And as I told you, my husband is also ex-PBCC. And we often say, what is Bruce's endgame? Yeah. Yeah. And money. Yeah. Richard just did it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Money. Okay. Okay. So we all know he's got the money. Now, what is his endgame with that money? We suspect his health isn't great. You know, if, if is he going to sell off 
into the sunset and say so long suckers is he going to you know, is, what what is the end game or is it and I don't know the answer to this it's just quite an interesting or is it there isn't an end game it's actually the pursuit of the money that yeah. is the end game and I don't yeah. know I'd, I'd love to yeah, I, I can I can speak to that a bit because um money is in, incredibly central to the whole yes. motivation of all the higher echelons of the PBCC in some ways and I mean, don't misunderstand me when I say this, the the sexual abuse and the spousal abuse is kind of like collateral damage. It's not the brethren don't want that to happen. No one in the brethren thinks, yes, it's great to have sexual abuse and spousal abuse. It's mm -hmm. a, it's an inevitable outcome of the kind of coercive paternalistic control the exercise mm -hmm. but what is a, a deliberate and intended outcome of the coercive control is the accumulation of wealth at the top yeah. and that's a whole big subject which is that the coercive control which occurs in the brethren is largely directed towards making money and the whole the whole kind of separation thing which is their kind of religious excuse for this is is just to keep a, a, a captive consumer base. Mm. They don't want mm. brethren to leave because they make money off the brethren. Yeah. Every yeah. member contributes. Yeah. And, and you'll find sometimes when brethren do get kicked out, it, it's probably largely because they represented a net drain on the system rather than anything they could make money out mm. of. I mean, particularly in Jamaica, a large number of the less, the poorer brethren there, and of course they were very poor by Western standards, have gone and, and of course they were disposable because they they were actually taking money out of the system rather than putting money into the system and if you want proof of that you can look at all these clauses in all the business contracts which essentially make sure that even if individuals go the wealth and the business stays yes, in brethren ownership yeah. and so there's a whole huge subject about using coercive control to get mm. money out of people and it's very very blatant it, it's straightforward high pressure salesmanship if you're inside there every week probably more frequently than every week there's a ubt initiative you have to buy this there's the high value headscarves there's the this initiative that initiative insurance your car volunteer for the shop buy all your groceries from the shop and the list goes on and on and on and then if you're a business owner there's a whole raft of things that your business is supposed to subscribe to you know wonderfully valuable seminars of recycled youtube videos from the i was going to say from the 1960s but youtube didn't exist in the 1960s it, it's all about money and the the coercive control is is all directed to that end towards making money and, and i think this is going to be their Achilles heel because mm, I agree they have long since stepped outside um, decent upright business practice. They've long been in the shadows in terms of tax evasion. And now there's multiple cases of outright criminality. And in, in terms of what Bruce's endgame is, I, I think it is it's it's a dynasty it's a dynastic system mm, yeah and it's very mm. inherent in human nature and i mean it's actually a good thing is that you look after your kids first you yeah. look after your family you like to think and i mean you see this all the time i mean the, the place i work it's an italian business and there's a couple of old guys brothers and they work their guts out 
although they're past retiring age, because it's a family business and you think, look, you know, why don't you just retire and live off the benefit? Well, they're passing it on to yeah. their children. Yeah. And I think that's really what Bruce is all about. He's setting up his his children to be extremely wealthy and successful yeah. leaders. Mm. And that's just that's just human nature. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, he's he's on his last legs and his you know, he's an alcoholic and he's probably locked in the basement for, for you know, 23 hours out of 24. But the end game is, and, and hopefully it doesn't get this, you know, we'll probably live to see this happen. Bruce will pop his clogs and then the next generation of mm. extremely wealthy, coercive, crooked, high-powered Halesers will take over the family business. I mean, the Brethren, the PBCC, is the Hales' family business. Mm. It's just like these other giant corporations with 55,000 employees. Yeah. It, it just directs the money to the top. Uh, I think I you're think. probably right. It, 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 yeah. I think you're probably right about the end game there, Richard. I, I, um, yeah. yeah. I, I was kind of thinking as Jackie was talking, if you look at 2014 mm. and this whole document coming out, that's kind of the point where Bruce Hale started to make himself less available. You know, you think back on his father and the previous leaders beforehand, you could ring them up or you could talk to them. Whereas Bruce has pulled himself separate, almost like there's a schism between him and all his people, which may be playing into his dynasty, his end game, because mm. um, he's made himself not available. Like you literally cannot pick up a phone call, a phone and call him. And it makes me wonder with that document saying that anybody could make a choice to talk to people outside, he's not involving himself. He's keeping his name yeah. out of it. So he can't be blamed. Therefore, there's like insulation between him and the decisions that are being made. You know, he's yeah. protecting his dynasty at the top and protecting himself and making himself completely unavailable. And that should be a huge red flag to anybody that's inside there. Look at what he's done to himself he's not available no leader that's a true leader is not available to his people that's a really good point carmen yeah. and i think going back to what we we're saying um, you know pressure will come on the pbc it will come and go from external angles the charity commission authority bodies and it will come and go and lawyers are very good at getting out of it yeah what will really change the pbcc is people inside asking the questions you've just cited, Carmen, yeah. you know, hang on a minute. Yeah. This document came out that basically shows this lovely, friendly, caring, compassionate face of the BBCC. But are we actually demonstrating that? And as you say, Bruce Hales, I think, would not want to be at the end of that chain. Yeah. If that was challenged, properly challenged. It was yeah. due to go to the High Court early January 2014. And they actually accepted this, I think it was two or three days before. They did not want it to go to the High Court because the Charity Commission had the whole lot of the evidence of the public benefit and the harm and detriment would have all come out in a public court hearing. Yeah. And I so think it was it's something a that... Massive... Sorry, go on, Carmen. There was something that Peter told us last yes. on the last podcast that I think is really important to bring it back up and say to people, really seriously think about yeah. this, okay? They were assigning blockers at the end of the aisles so that when Bruce walked out of the meeting room, no one could approach him with an honest question. 
And that might that might have been the last one that we did with um, Ann Hamilton. Whatever the case, they were assigning blockers mm-hmm. so that the normal people could not ask Bruce a question. Now, the only reason you would do that is you're scared that Bruce is actually going to answer that question. Right. You know, they don't want they don't want the normal people to get to Bruce because Bruce might answer that question. And then if you quote Bruce's name on it, well, Bruce is not protected. No, you're not protecting your leader. You're not protecting your dynasty if you let them interact with the normal people. And I think people need to stop and really seriously think about that. Mm -hmm. In the past, you could always access your leaders. What you've got now is a dictatorship where the dictator's at the top and nobody on a normal level can actually access him. Why is that? That was Anne's. That was an Anne's podcast. That, okay. Yeah, it was yeah. Anne's podcast because she they she wanted to talk to him, right? I remember yeah. she had she had a gift for him that she had made that she was gonna pass him, and that was her that was her way of getting to talk to him. And I you know, you guys might inside might be told, oh, well, we've got people who we can talk to that talk to Mr. Hales and get back to us. So it's not that, but it is that it is, it that. is that you should be able that. to ring up Mr. Hales. Everybody should have. I mean, I remember growing up at home. You had the list beside the phone. It had all everybody's numbers. Mr. Hales yeah. should be up there. You should be able to pick up that phone call and you should be able to just, hey, I, I, I need to talk to you. Yeah. If that's not you happening. I, and I, I think I, that Bruce learned a lesson. At the very end of his father's mm-hmm. life, um, Bruce was making judgments that his father didn't know about. Um, because I personally rang up his father when Bruce was not in the house. And Mrs. Hales told me, Bruce has just left for work. Do you want to wait until Bruce gets here? And I said, no, I'd like to speak to Mr. Hales. And in this situation, Mr. Hales said, well, I have not been told anything about this matter. So Bruce learned a very important lesson at the very end of his father's life. And he's making sure that doesn't happen now. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's really important. And people inside there should be waking up and going, wait, why is this? Yeah. There's a reason. There's Mm -hmm. a big reason. And and it should make you stop and go, wow. If I, if, and I think back to Grandpa Symington's time, people would call and they would think by giving their whole situation to Chester. And Chester was Grandpa Symington's brother. They would think, well, Chester's going to take the details of my case and he's going to go over to Mr. Symington and he's going to get me an answer. Well, let me tell you what really happened. A lot of times Chester had a whole table full of visitors on the Lord's Day and he sat and discussed the details of that whole case at the table with all his visitors. And there's plenty of people that can back me up. I'm not making that story up. So you got the answer. I hate to tell you, but you got the answer from the table full of visitors that were at Chester's house on Lord's Day for dinner. And sometimes those questions did not even go to Grandpa Symington. And second, second thing is what spin was put on it between what you said and what actually went to him. And how much alcohol was involved in between. He can't make a correct judgment on a case that has been spun around a table full of visitors on Sunday at dinner you know stop and think if you're not actually able to access and able to get a straightforward person-to-person answer why why absolutely Absolutely. everybody needs to say why yeah and I think that's the purpose I, I I think that's quite a lot that comes out in the podcast that you guys do um is the factual stuff and if it can just make people inside the brethren just sit down and think enough of them hang on a minute and and 
as Cheryl said many times, and I totally agree with, it has not been opposed to their faith. It has mm. not been opposed even to their moral separation from no. evil. I think most of us try and practice that on one level or another. I mean, you know, yeah. so it's not been opposed to that. It's not been opposed to them going to meetings every day. It's not been opposed to what they want to do. It's about stopping the harm in all its forms. That doesn't have to be there, whether it's sexual abuse, whether it's stopping families seeing each other, stopping that. Because you could actually have a brethren meeting and keep morally separate but not to cause the harm. So yeah, yeah let's let's talk to Bruce Shell and the others. Right? It's, <laughs> it's not I'd like to, to talk to him. And, yeah. Uh, he's I not mean, gonna want to though, because he knows well, what well, he is. I mean, if he's not talking to the people inside, I'm pretty sure he's not gonna want to talk no. to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my message to Bruce always is then you know what? It's how this is all happening and how we're taking this down. The more that we expose this. Or the more people that we're getting from inside contacting us, the more teachers that are contacting us, the more principals that are contacting us. It's just, it's going to come tumbling down sooner or later, Bruce. It will. It will. There's there's no doubt in my mind that it's not going to, but it doesn't have to go down the way that you're asking it to go down because you're asking it to go down this way by not talking to us. I mean, Mm. I I agree. I, I actually, I don't give a monkeys that Bruce has got millions good luck to him you know yeah. <laughs> it, it, oh you know that that's fine what you what I think most of us care about is the fallout from that the fallout mm. of how those millions are required in whatever yeah. shape or form and that's what we are if we're called opposers for doing that then yes I am opposed to sexual abuse yeah. and things mm. that go on that are blatantly wrong and immoral so fine <laughs> yeah it's just i think about my mom slaving away yeah no so all hours of the night making yep. what she needs to make for bake sales and making for this and making for that when yep. she's got such bad health issues yep. that's who i fight for is yep. she shouldn't have to be slaving away no it's no sickening to think of an old lady like that slaving away making cakes you know, having bought the ingredients on her own expense, making cakes for a bake sale to send money to a multi-billionaire businessman mm-hmm. in Australia who's got his own jet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're told really it's going to school. To, I mean, you know, they're told that yeah, it's going to school, but that. it's a bunch of... <laughs> and, you know, my mom is so caring. She's just so caring that for her, she would do it till her knuckles bled, right? Because that's just who she is. And if that's the part that makes me so sad is yeah. that there's... How many thousands of those types of women who have been bred for that reason and are slaving away with not wearing rose colored glasses, blinders on, and they have no idea what's pulling them. Just the comment, I, I agree with you. They say they believe it's going to charity, it's going to the schools. But just to break that comment down for a moment, who set the schools up and why? The brethren did to keep their children separate. Because every other school in every other country is a wicked place where their children will fall into wicked, terrible things. Now, my children went to normal schools. Um, I'm sure yours did, Carmen. I'm sure yours did, Cheryl. And Richard, I'm sure your your little baby in due course will go to a (laughs) normal school. They don't. The brethren schools have been set up almost on a falsehood. You know, I was just going to say, let's discuss why did they put, why yeah. did they set up their schools? They <laughs> yeah. had to set up their schools because they had to protect their kids 
from finding out what the truth is. Yes. It's just like the way they're setting up their rigs. Exactly. There's only one reason they're doing it. They have to protect them for finding out the truth. Exactly what we're saying. And, yeah. and also giving an avenue for young children to leave, because as you listen to people's stories and you hear of people that left when they're 16 or 17, and I'm talking about when we did go to mainstream school, a lot of them would contact the school friend. Yeah. You mm. know, I, I know so yeah. because they are somebody they've seen on a daily basis who's got a little bit of a clue and the kindly mother or father. Um, yeah. Yes. And you've got to protect the children from that. And that's said in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very true. And I, I think most people outside the Brethren who aren't familiar with the system assume that the Brethren have their own schools because they use it for religious teaching. Uh, and that's not the case. They don't, they don't, they, they, they tried doing Bible studies for a few years and then they dropped it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they can't they do that because kids will think. Yeah, they can't do Bible studies because kids will think and they yeah. will actually yeah. find out what the truth behind the Bible is. So yeah. they can't allow them to do that. Mm. You know, I mean, I used to teach Bible studies and and some of it, <laughs> some of it was about the Bible, which was relatively interesting. Quite a lot of it was a whole series of articles or accounts written about what they call the great conflicts of the recovery, which which are kind of made out in sort of fantastical warfare language to be this sort of great conflict between good and evil and these terrible rivals and how our beloved brother triumphed. But when you actually try and write it out and explain it to a bunch of school children, what it actually looks remarkably like is two rather um, arrogant elderly white gentlemen having a big theological argument about who's actually going to run the place yeah. and and yeah. i think that's why they stopped it because when you you know it's fine to talk in the meeting abstractly about these great conflicts but when you actually put it in black and white it all looks remarkably stupid and mm. and narrow-minded and and mm. pig-headed you know the eternal son question was jesus uh was Jesus the son in eternity or not? They all split up about that and thousands and thousands of brethren went off and they fought and argued over that. Who knows the answer and, and who cares, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the current generation of young people and the brethren are very irreligious largely. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't have a clue about any of this stuff. They're very ill-taught in biblical subjects yeah. or the history of Christianity. Mm. Um, they they're just little shiny polished businessmen with nice straight side partings, and certificates from Bruce Hales. Yeah, certificate <laughs> in advanced <laughs> business management signed by yeah. Bruce Hales. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was shortly after I left in '92 in Maple Creek. It was I think it was that next fall or that following year when everybody was pulled out of the schools. That that last group of us that left in Maple Creek. Um, or were kicked out, um, went to homeschooling, and then the new schools were built after that. So, I mean, they they didn't they didn't do it for religious studies. They did it to to save their kids mm. in their yeah, eyes. And if you think about it, Grandpa Simonton said we should stay in the school because we were rubbing shoulders with the world. And then all of a sudden, yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah. here comes John Hales, and he pulls all these kids out. Why? Because they were rubbing shoulders with the world and the world was, you know, teaching them a couple things to actually 
you know, normal things. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Jackie, we sure appreciate you coming on. <laughs> was there anything, was there anything more you wanted to comment on? In the- no, it's 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 been good. Um, I, as I say, I particularly what I want to do is encourage. I suppose the the closing would be to encourage anybody that's watching this podcast in the brethren to read that document. Yeah, yeah. No. Just and read I'll, it. Uh, Just read it. Yeah, yeah. we'll if put up can. links to it. Make and sure it's accessible. Start signing yeah. up for what you know is to be morally yeah. true, right? There's, I think that's the biggest thing for everybody in there is you've got to start thinking for yourself and asking yourself, is is this my belief? Does this feel right in my heart? Because I know there's some really good Christians in there, right? There there are some very good, compassionate, faith-based Christians in there. And you just got to be able to separate yourself from all of the schisms that are around you and start asking yourself, does this feel right in my heart? Hmm. You know, I, like, I know, I know that my dad had been able to keep his coherence and keep his own mind to himself. He was someone that really saw through things. He really did. Compassion was always this thing that he preached on. It was always about compassion. And um, I think that's why he was such a threat to them is because he, he, his fall made him um, a little bit, he, he didn't have a filter on his mouth. So he just kind of said what he needed to say. But a lot of what he came out of his mouth was truth. It was just truth. And I think that's what everybody needs to do. You need to find your own truth, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. in here. Yeah. It's not out here. It's in no, it's your not. It's, it's, it's in you. your heart and it's your personal conscience. And I would say to people in, don't be frightened to believe you've got a voice yet. Yeah. I mean, you said your dad could be outspoken. Good for him. Yeah. But people are frightened to speak out. But even just those questions in your head, ask them. Don't stop yourself asking them because that's the start of actually change. Whereas I think sometimes even those little niggling doubts, your head, I mean, I call them the thought police, will go whoom to that question before you've even, when you're in the brethren. Allow those questions to happen and then see if you can find the answers. And as you say, do what, what, what's on your moral compass. Yeah. Mm. And change is messy. Everybody needs to remember that change is messy and that's yes. okay. It is so yes. okay. When you go to re when you go to rebuild your house and you tear it down inside, mm. right? It gets messy. That's what's happening. And that's okay. It is okay. Yeah. But we are all here for each other. Um, yeah. We might not, we don't really know what we're doing on these podcasts. We're winging it. We are not professionals. We've never proclaimed to be professionals. Um <laughs> I know there's been a few comments in our presentation and you know what we, we do what we can do. We do. um, We allow everybody on here to have their own voice. I am not going to turn into the PBCC and tell somebody else who's on here that they can't say what they need to say or believe what they want to believe. Everybody who comes in and out of here have been affected by the PBCC and everybody is always in a state of healing. And what I guess I want to ask ex-members and other people who listen to that is have compassion for what we are trying to do, have compassion for the people that come on here and, and bear their vulnerability. It is hard to do what we are doing. It's hard to be vulnerable. I second guess myself every single time we do one of these podcasts, 
please bear with us while we're trying to work out what we're trying to do. Because the first step is allowing us to open up a platform like this. The first step is allowing ourselves to have a voice, find that voice. Some of us are angry. Some of us are burdened in grief. Some of us have days that were really good. Some of us are fighting things that we don't even want to look at. So I just think that everybody needs to make a note when they're watching our podcast is you need to have compassion. You need to allow us a, a, a platform where we can just all be vulnerable and not judge one another. I think that's my biggest plea from the last couple of days where um, that that's really what I want to put out there is just this is us being vulnerable and not knowing what we're doing. Yep. We're just following would, our heart. I would totally second that. And what I would add to it, everybody on this podcast that's come through has the PBCC experience in one shape or form. We are also all individuals with different personalities. So how we've reacted to that experience will be different for each and every one of us. And that is okay. Yeah, that's all. That is okay. Couldn't have said it better, Jackie. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Any point in time, you're always got a seat here on in this podcast, and you have a way to share that beautiful voice of yours. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Take care. Bye. Much love. All right. To share your story or be a guest on the show, email info.getalife at proton.me.